our first uh, sermon deep dive midweek live stream. Whoop whoop! It's uh, <laughs> going to be something. Like I said, we're gonna we're gonna try to do this every week, uh, just as an opportunity to. Uh, go into some of the details that we weren't able to cover uh, in the sermon, explain a little bit of uh, some of the background of stuff, you know, just kind of do the deep dive. It's all in the name right there. Right. <laughs> um, I uh, thought uh, to start out today, before we kind of get into the to the meat of our discussion, I thought uh, this would be a good time for all of y'all to get to know Noah specifically. Hello. Um, so uh, before we get started here, Noah, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everybody? You know, give us a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of your story, you know, what what is your uh, role here at Wayfarers? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, for the most part, I'm kind of the do-whatever-Nick-tells-me-to-do man, <laughs> um, but my official title here is uh, Teaching Pastor, uh, and I'll be uh, hopefully in the next coming uh, months or so uh, putting together a lot of I would say like teaching curriculums uh, that I'll be doing for Wayfarers. I'm hoping to launch a class here, hopefully through Zoom pretty soon. So uh, you'll be seeing me around a lot doing uh, things like that. Um, a little backstory on who I am. I've born and raised in Memphis, moved down to downtown uh, at 18 and really uh, fell in love with music. Uh, did music for uh, three years at a music college, then ended up through Nick really transferring to uh, Mid-South Christian College, became uh, a, uh, got a bachelor's here in Christian education, which uh, has helped me a lot. I uh, love the school here. Uh, shout out there. Yeah. Anyone check out Mid-South. Mid <laughs> Anyone check out Mid-South Christian College, bilingual college. They're great. Um, and yeah, uh, started working really with Nick on, on one, a project before this one called Avenue Coffee. Many, many of you probably heard of that. Um, worked there for a long time and uh, just recently have moved on from that to uh, work here at Wayfair. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. That's so. perfect, man. Yeah. So Noah is the uh, the teaching pastor, like I said, here at uh, Wayfarers. Um, he is the uh, resident Bible nerd, I think, as Tim Mackey and a lot of the Bible Project crew would would call it. Um, but Noah helps me um, with a lot of the the background of a lot of the sermons. He uh, is a, a big Hebrew guy. Has been uh, is is pretty up on his Hebrew and <laughs> biblical Greek. You're getting you're getting in getting there, the getting there. Just, yeah, Greek's always a little bit more difficult. It's it's got all the declensions and oh <laughs> golly, I, I hate it in some so many ways. Hebrew's so much easier. Anybody that says different, they're wrong. Um, but anyway. <laughs> And so he's got the he's got the background on all those ancient biblical languages and, um, you know, just kind of is is uh, a, a fan of going deep in a lot of those biblical passages. So we were thinking this uh, weekly live stream would be an opportunity for those those of you that do want to go a little bit deeper. Those of you that do want more of the nitty gritty details of it. Um you know, this is an opportunity for you to tune in and get that experience. And um, if you if you don't want that, if you get bored out of your mind with that, <laughs> then you know uh, you you you've got the Sunday services where we give you the you know thousand foot view. But this one, um, this is the deep dive. So, yeah. uh, without further ado, we're going to go into some of the details of this sermon that we just uh, did this Sunday. Which, if you uh, haven't had a chance to watch, I would encourage you to go back on our. 
uh, page here and you'll be able to see this last Sunday's um, service. Uh, get a little bit of an idea of the context of what we're talking about today and um, you know get to rewatch the sermon and, and and see what we what we talked about um, but uh, just as a few corrections here first before I get started uh, as soon as I got off stage Noah immediately was like you said at one point that the year of Jubilee was every 70 years it's not it's uh it's every 50 years <laughs> I am correct. that guy <laughs> We'll, we'll go ahead and use this time to do some corrections every once in a while. So just so you guys understand, I said that during the sermon. I said every 70 years. I guess I was just thinking cycles of seven. But, yeah, um, which every, is every pretty years. close. You know, the, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. There. I was almost there. <laughs> um, but the general topic of the sermon this Sunday was on Sabbath, on, on rest, on what those ideas meant uh, for the for the Jews and how that can kind of connect to us uh, in this particular day and age, I, I, I heard a lot from a lot of you that you really connected with that idea that I talked about about just being feeling tired. I think we're all feeling tired. I think mm. we're all feeling like we need some Sabbath rest. I think the gospel really has a um, answer to that. I think that the gospel is about Sabbath rest, um, and so. We wanted to take a little bit of time to sort of unpack in greater detail what that concept was like for the for the Jews specifically and what that concept of Sabbath means theologically. So give us a little context, Noah. What, what, what uh, was kind of the background of Sabbath, especially for the ancient Jews um, and some of the Old Testament context that we see specifically? Yeah, yeah. So... A lot of what we know about Sabbath, uh, really, we get from uh, actually Genesis 1 and uh, God uh, resting on the seventh day. Um, the word that uh, in Hebrew uh, for that rest is actually the word Shabbat, uh, which is where we get the word Sabbath from. Uh, and I think a lot of people, when they think of rest, they think of this idea of having just kind of a, a lazy chair and kind of propping your feet up mm-hmm. and just watching TV, this kind of really chill kind of maybe put on a Netflix show or whatever it is. That's kind of our modern concept of what rest is in their time frame. It was not that um, entertainment wasn't really as big of a thing in their culture. Uh, for them, rest was stopping from every, uh, thing that you were doing in the day. Generally that would have been farming, um, uh, a lot of manual labor, cooking, um, a lot of teaching, actually, your children, education-wise. All of that would cease uh, on the Sabbath, and they would actually devote themselves to a very solemn, uh, intentional not doing anything. Um, and almost sort of a pause to their to their work week, um, which was actually really severe. Um, and they were the only society really to do this, the only society to kind of um, take this step. Um, and uh, the, the Hebrew word actually um, has this kind of conveys this idea of pressing home. Uh, it's one of these uh, ideas of like having having almost this feeling that you've got to rush home really quickly because um, you've worked so hard. And so you're looking to 
press home essentially and cease what you're doing and you know finally get into that that position so it, in our modern ways that we translate it, it it literally means to cease to stop um, and so just think of it in those terms think of rest in their con concept as kind of a way to just stop to slow down kind of i will say covid and everything that's happened right now is actually probably the most accurate description of what would happen sabbath wise today just like imagine phase one and imagine everything that happened in phase one that's what they would do every week on sabbath so just kind of get that concept in your head of staying at home not going out you know i I don't actually think of a better example of in our culture today of what sabbath would have felt like um as covid so yeah yeah. that's really good so it wasn't necessarily about lazy relaxation um the 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 big key in the word and in the concept was like stopping and like stopping what you were doing Mm -hmm. um in that in that time exactly you know quarantine and phase one covid stuff yeah where everything (laughs) stopped the whole world shut down exactly you can't go to work you're working from home maybe but yeah like uh, that's probably the only difference is you could still work from home for some people, but, um, and if you're an essential worker, I'm sorry. Um, but right. yeah. Right. So every, everything would, would, would cease and stop. And what was like the, the theological reason that they were doing that? What was, uh, what was the yeah, so, purpose? Um, because of God resting and ceasing from his work on the seventh day, we see, uh, one of what's interesting about this uh, about that day in Genesis one is that he looks at creation and says that it's very good. All the rest of the times he says it's just good. Um, on the seventh day, he looks out and beholds everything, and behold, it was very good. And uh, then he ceases um, all of his work, and we from what from what uh, they seem to uh, derive from that was the act of actually participating in God's rest every. Um, seventh day and actually taking and enjoying f- the fruit of their work and their work week and um, getting to participate in the same actions that God did. And it was also a, a remembrance for them. Uh, if you read in Exodus 20, um, it's the only uh, a Ten Commandment that attaches remembrance, remember, um, to that command specifically. And so it's this idea of them, um, there's this kind of uh, big fancy word called epistemal, uh, epistemological, ah, can't say it right. Epistemological. Uh, thank you, thank you. Man, I wish I could say words better. Um, but yeah, there's this fancy word that essentially means how do you know what you know? Um, and it's a big like branch in philosophy. Um, but this idea of how you know what you know to the Israelites, the way that they knew what they knew was to practice it. So um, they would understand Sabbath better if they practiced it. They would understand what it meant for God to rest on the seventh day if they did it every week. Um, and it's almost this sort of experiential kind of thing. Think of it in terms of like, uh, this happens a lot actually in coffee shop culture. Um you can teach someone how to steam milk and you can like tell them all the right ways to do it. But unless they actually like do it, like unless they actually pour the milk into the steam pitcher, latch it up to the steam wand and turn it on, Mm -hmm. they're not really going to understand how that all works until they've actually done what you've told them to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen it so many times. It's like I've taught people how to steam milk 
and they think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got it. I got it. I, got, I understand it. And then they try and steam it. And the first time it's a complete mess. Uh, and it's because they haven't, they don't really know. They just think they know. And it's that, that taking a step further and actually practicing what you've been told weekly, daily, and developing those skills that really, for the Israelites in particular, was their main method of um, learning. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's a right. lot of the theological so the idea of practicing Sabbath was that um, they would read about the way that God took up his rest and enjoyed his creation, and um, they wanted to to know what that was like more than just in their heads, more than right. just by reading it. And the way they would do that is by, by doing it, by actually stopping the work that they were doing. Because I think me and you have talked a lot, one of the things that is uh, key in understanding what that original creation was like was that a lot of the purposes of that original creation was that you would be able to live and thrive without having to work super hard. You know, you wouldn't have to work the land super hard, but rather the fruit would just come out of that garden. It was it was there. It was available for you. You wouldn't have to 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 really, you know, break your back trying to work and get ahead. Um, you would be able to to live in a in a less backbreaking way. And so on Sabbath, they would be uh, getting a foretaste of, the, of what that yeah. was like. Right. Yes, very true, very true. That that's almost that that's the very forward thinking for them was uh, looking forward to this final day when everything would no longer require work and toil and um they could cease and enjoy really the garden of Eden um and enjoy life and enjoy this final rest essentially. So yes, yes, that's that's mm-hmm. exactly head on. Mm-hmm. And so I meant to mention this in in the sermon but I just uh skipped over the point there's a there's a really good book that i would recommend it's been recommended by a few friends of mine um on sabbath by an author named abraham heschel Mm. um that he's a he's a a jewish author who specifically talks about some of the jewish background of sabbath um and i would just really recommend that to any of you who want to do an even deeper dive yeah. on how the Jews viewed Sabbath specifically. Um, cause I think, I don't know about you, but in, in my experience, a lot of the ideas of Sabbath got connected with Christian ideas of Sunday and, yeah. and not working on Sunday. And, um, and I, I think that's our culture's understanding of it, but I think it's really important to understand how the, the time that the Bible was written how they were viewing a lot of these ideas. Right? For sure, for sure. And it, it was way more, I would say, uh, like the weekend kind of is our cultural way of understanding. Like we work five days and then take two days off typically. Uh, I know some of us out here probably have two jobs, and so that's yeah. not a reality. I was that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, for the most part in our culture, we're kind of used to taking Saturday and Sunday off. Um, and I think that's kind of muddied our understanding of what it meant for them. Um, but I will say, bear in mind that uh, it's one of the few things that uh, in their history, we just aren't really certain how often they uh, did it. Yeah. Um, and we can get into that, but the history of Israel working through um, the, um, particularly through like first Kings and second Kings and through a lot of the uh, bad 
bad kings of Israel and things like that. We don't know how much they followed the laws that God set up. So there is a bit of a um, just a question mark when it comes to how did they actually did they do actually do it or not? Yeah, yeah. yeah but theoretically, ideally, mm-hmm. this is what that that idea of Sabbath was right, about. Right, right. And so the the point I really tried to connect in the sermon was that Sabbath specifically also has this strong connection with um, with this forward-looking time where they were they were looking forward to a day when the the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the the way things are supposed to be came came into being and that was closely connected with uh, the Messiah coming. So this the the Jewish king, the king of Israel and um, the king of the world we would find out later was was going to c- kind of come and establish that 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 age to come, that kingdom of heaven on earth, that that reality that they were longing for, what every week when they did so. Right. You, so, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I will say that like it's more than just like resting every week. Um, Leviticus actually like uh, stipulates that um, there's a huge like growth in um, years and months, and uh, they basically would take ultra rests every um like for instance every seven months they would have what's called the day of atonement um today it's called yom kippur uh and it's this idea of uh really enacting the the sacrificed lamb um for the whole population but they would do that every seventh month of the year right and then every seven years they would actually not work the entirety of that year um and then every seven times seven years, they would have a year, which is called the year of Jubilee. And in that time period, everything that you purchased land-wise would revert back to its original owner on that year. And so there's this idea of recycling the land, essentially, to its original owner. So imagine, like, say you've just bought a house on the 48th year, right? Mm-hmm. And in that if you bought a house in the 48th year, the 49th year passes, the 50th year, you end up having to give that house back to the person you bought it from, whoever was the original owner of the house. And so imagine what that would do to economics in a sense. Like you, your purchasing would actually be cheaper on the 48th year. Right, because you know you'd only have it for one year. Right, exactly. And so what this did was it instituted, it was supposed to at least, because again, we're not really sure they followed this, um, but what it was supposed to do was institute this idea of hope for people that were oppressed, that were poor, um, that may have had to sell their land um, just because of a bad business deal. It was supposed to give them a hope in their lifetime, because most people would live to 70, right? Um, it was hope to give in their lifetime that they would one day get their land get back. back. And so it was kind of a way to keep the poor from staying poor you know mm-hmm. it was a way of socialistically even mm-hmm. kind of uh, moving that economic um right way back into the hands it of, was it was something to look forward to right because like yeah lots of times you may you may have had a bad circumstance a bad situation that happened in your life and out of some crazy things that happened outside of your control you ended up having to sell your family farm or something right. like that to make make ends meet but with this seven times sevens year of jubilee sabbath you had 
you had something to look forward to. You knew that even though this terrible situation happened now, in the in the distant, in the future. distant future, you would you would be able to get that back at some point. Exactly, exactly. And so it's kind of, in some ways, theologically, it trained you to always be looking to the future and have hope, right? right. Like, you know, if you're one of those people that had sold your land, you're, you're always thinking about that, that year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, when the land would revert back to you, even yeah. if you're super poor right now. And once the land's back, I mean, that's your that's your way of living. However much land you had at the beginning might be a huge amount of acreage. And now you can plant a bunch of seeds in that, and then you can grow crops again, and suddenly you've got income again, right? right. Um, and and so, but the idea was that there would be sort of a, a ultimate Sabbath, an ultimate year of Jubilee, ultimate year of the Lord's favor, where where everything would be made right again exactly where, where that that toil and backbreaking work that it took to to get to what you needed to get to was was a thing of the past so to speak yeah basically one of the curses that happens in genesis 3 is that the land is cursed and all of this setup is rest for the land right and so this ultimate um rest that nick's talking about is really meant to reconcile that that the land will finally essentially be reversed in terms of Adam's curse and you won't have to work and toil and be anxious over whether or not food's going to grow from the ground anymore. And there's this promise that um, there will be a final seventh seven almost of this for the land that will bring about um, really a kingdom is how Isaiah describes it in which um, deserts actually will become um, streams of water that grow up trees and Basically, the whole land is remade from this barren um, wasteland to this um, really lush, beautiful land flowing of milk and honey, basically. Right, right. And so that hope that the Sabbath was training them to have, it was it was training them to be hopeful. It was training them to not be, like, super pessimistic. Everything's going to be terrible. There was something to look forward to. Right. And... And there was this ultimate Sabbath that they were looking forward to, this ultimate day when the when the Messiah would come, when everything would be put back to right, when um, we wouldn't have to work as hard, and when, you know, we would have that that flir- human flourishing that we were all looking forward to. Right. And uh, the, the point I was trying to make in the sermon is that what you see in Jesus' words specifically is that he sees himself as the one who is uh, bringing that that final Sabbath that into, final yeah into existence? Would you say that's a good character? Oh yeah, that's that's dead on. I mean, he he comes on the scene and announces, uh, like you were saying, he reads the scroll, which is announcing the year of jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. Both of those are synonymous. If you haven't caught that yet, um, and he announces it and says, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled." Um, and for the Jews, that would have been like, they're under Roman occupation right now. This is not the day of the land right now. So this would have been a very controversial statement for Jesus to make saying today rest has finally come to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, um, it was this, uh, good news that they had all been looking forward to. They were all expecting this good news of one day. The Messiah is going to come. The final Sabbath is going to be here. And and so Jesus stands up in that synagogue, unrolls the scroll, reads a verse that has specifically to do with that year of Jubilee Sabbath idea, and he tells them that 
this is the day. This is the day you guys have been waiting for, what you guys have all been hoping for. Today, this is fulfilled. I'm the guy you're looking for, so to speak. Right. Um, and and as I mentioned earlier, that the in the sermon, the the good news, the word that we often use to talk about good news is gospel, the gospel, which means the good news. And and it's this idea of Sabbath is closely connected with that. But um, I don't. Me and you growing up, that's not the. We never heard any of that necessarily when we were here. Right. That. Right. We were kind of given, and maybe many of you have uh, too, but we kind of grew up in uh, church atmospheres where the gospel was presented as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As long as you knew those three facts, you're good. You've got the gospel. You know, no more, no more research really needed on that. And I want to be very clear: we are not saying that's wrong. Right, right. <laughs> that is right. Yeah. But we do think there is more to it. Right. We think there's a there's a there's a richer backstory behind a lot of that and and more layers to what was mm-hmm. actually good news because I I think a lot of you may have experienced the same thing as me when you hear that message sometimes it doesn't really sound like good news no like it's no sounds- <laughs> no it sounds awful actually that like oh a guy died like in a really brutal awful way and that's the way that I get into heaven that's the way it was pitched to me um and yeah like uh it kind of i walked away from it at least having mixed feelings about it feeling terrible for jesus you know feeling like he got the (laughs) real short end of the sit of the stick and um i always felt super guilty about that and so it never felt like good news um to me in that sense so how do we bring those two ideas together how how do we bring the that really hopeful idea of of the rest that we're going to be able to experience in the final sabbath and the death burial and resurrection of jesus how how do those two come together well what really helped me was realizing that uh the death and burial and resurrection of jesus are the way that rest happens in the gospel um and so it's not the it to the the means uh of enacting rest was exactly what i just said um but the point is for us to now rest from sin and from death right so um this idea of um the good news being that you as a poor person in spirit, right? You being someone that uh, is afflicted by sin, someone that's being afflicted by uh, the fact that you are going to die one day, right? Um, these very real things in our life, the the feeling of you want to do good, but there's just some part of you in you that keeps you from having courage or stepping out and making that decision. And I think all of us have had points in our life where uh, we know what the right thing is, but it's just too scary, too hard to step into that. And so we take a different path, you know, and it's like almost fighting against yourself, fighting against this feeling that um, fighting against who you really are sometimes. Uh, and so what what learning about this idea and um, I remember uh, reading really for the first time, uh, Matthew 11, um, four through six. Did you have that pulled yeah, up, by the way? Yeah, let me. Uh, pull that up and read that. Um, it's Matthew eleven four through six. Mm-hmm. Jesus replied, uh, "Go back and report to John what you hear and see: the blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And I remember when I heard that, I was stopped because if the good news, which is the gospel, right, is being proclaimed to the poor, and Jesus says this, what's the good news? Because Jesus hasn't died yet. Like he's not, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't resurrected yet. So how can the good news be preached to the poor right now if he hasn't died yet, you know? Uh, and that's when I realized there was more to the gospel than just the death, burial, and resurrection, that there was a whole other layer to it that I had just missed. Um, and what Jesus says in that passage is, I think, the commentary behind how you are to understand that, right? The, uh, the blind are seeing, um, the deaf hearing, um, it's related to this idea of those people poor and those oppressed by illness, um, disease, um, those people um, are beginning to become healed. And I think you're supposed to take this spiritual meaning from that, that Jesus is about to bring rest, the spiritual rest, to every human on earth. I think that's what he's communicating there. Um, And that really just opened up um, so much more so that now the death, burial, and resurrection don't just mean guilt for me, but they actually mean um, joy now because it's this idea of having um, something talked about, this idea of the poor being um, brought into the kingdom of heaven and be given riches, right? Um, This idea of them no longer having to toil and labor um, is everything that Jesus is working towards. Um, Yeah. So yeah. So so I mentioned that as a difficult aspect of Christianity for some people, yeah. but mm-hmm. how, how how would how does, you know, like if we're just if we're just diving deep down into the actual how does this work mm-hmm. side of it? How, how is it that the death of Jesus brings, you know, the day of the Lord? Right, the right, right. Favor? How 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 do those two ideas uh, connect? How is it that this seemingly unrelated thing, which is Jesus dying on a cross, how does that have anything to do with the bringing that rest, yeah, or mm-hmm. having riches and you know all of the awesome things that we all get excited about when we read some of those? Right, verses. right, and I think a part of that is you've got to understand what sin is first. You've really got to there. There are so many different definitions of sin have been thrown out lately, um, but. Sin, in the most simplest definition, is a mark on you that causes you to go in a bent or twisted direction. Um, If you guys, I'll I'll always throw a a fantasy book out there for you guys to go read. Um, The second book in C.S. Lewis's space space trilogy is called Paralandra. And uh, Paralandra actually depicts um, this uh, people afflicted with sin as being typed as bent ones and it's this literally straight from the hebrew um this word in hebrew for sinner really just means bent or twisted in a direction that it wasn't intended to go right um and so this idea of uh having humanity being afflicted and by this thing that bends you in a direction that wasn't your intended purpose like you weren't intended to uh go in this kind of offshoot direction from uh, your original purpose. Um, 
that's kind of what sin is, right? So kind of get a, get aside from like the devil on your shoulder. That's that's right. medieval kind of theology, and um, it's it's not really as accurate as what we see here. And so the idea is that because we're bent, we need someone to unbend us, right? We need someone to fix that. Um, and what we see Jesus do, uh, and there's a lot of different ways that they kind of go through how this is this happens. Um, but the big word that we use to kind of talk about this is called atonement. Um, and really that word means to cover in the Hebrew. Uh, it, it literally means to take something and hide it. Um, and so that concept of uh, atoning for someone's bent nature, essentially, is what is happening on the cross. And there's been a lot of different ways that people have described that happening. I'll kind of mention a few. Um, if you want to get into that further, there's a book called The, Ma- the Mosaic of Atonement, right? Yeah. Um, I would check that one out. That's a really good book on um, just all the different views of atonement theory. It's a little bit of a nerdy deep dive, but it will give you a little bit more. But suffice to say, the probably the most familiar that you probably will be just growing up in church is what's called penal substitutionary atonement. And it's basically a view that says that um, humanity has made God angry through being bent because we went in a direction that God didn't want us to go. um, And God can't actually relate to us anymore because we've gone off in a different direction. And so what there's like distance there's, yeah, there's, there's distance between us and God. And so for the most part, Christ comes on the scene and, because humans have followed this direction, uh, this bent direction, God has to punish that. Um, he has to enact justice uh, on going against his own laws that he created. And so what Jesus comes on the scene to do on the cross is essentially take those that punishment in place of us um, and uh, take on the distance of that God has with humanity on himself. And so by him being able to do that and him take on the justice, God's now enacted his justice freely on the sin uh, on uh, he's basically been able to have his full reign of justice on his own son and now you can have a relationship between humans right. and God. So like the the that that's the most common one. That's mm-hmm. the that's the way of understanding that idea of of atonement that we all kind of grew up with, which is human beings broke the rules. God's upset about that. Somebody needs to be punished. If you break the rules, right. somebody needs to be punished. Jesus steps in and, and and takes the punishment that we deserve for breaking the rules, and um and mends the relationship exactly. Makes it so that we don't have that distance between us and God anymore. And we can, um, be in, in relationship with him again. Um, and again, I I was brought up thinking that was the only way of understanding. Right. Me too, actually. But if you search, if you search through the history of the church, you know, just what the church has been around for 2000 years now, there's been Mm -hmm. a lot of different ways of understanding it. A lot of different people over history who have had different ways of viewing at it. That's not the only way um, to view it, to view it. And there's a few others. What are are some of the others that have kind of come up? Yeah. So the one that's actually making a huge kind of resurface wave right now is what's called Christus Victor. And Christus Victor essentially takes 
um, the concept of sin and death and personalizes them. So it sees them not necessarily as just things, but sees them as actually like principalities and kind of rulers over this world. Yeah, it's like powers of sin and death. Right. Like like these entities that are sin and death. Exactly. Think of it kind of, I don't know if anyone's read Cormac McCarthy's The Road, um, but um, there's a character in it who exemplifies kind of a just justice and he's called the judge and kind of think about it in terms like that think of if justice were personified um you know that's what you would have in cormac mccarthy's the road but in the same way it's now sin and death that are personified as these rulers right and so what christopher victor says is jesus essentially takes on everything that sin and death can throw at him essentially he he takes on all of the uh bullet wounds gun hole you know like the full-on shebang on the cross right because he undergoes death right he dies he physically dies and um it makes a very specific point to say that the only reason sin has power is because of its consequence, which is death, right? If the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. They pull from Romans. And so having this perspective of the only power that sin has is to be able to kill you. Um, what Jesus does through his resurrection is prove that death cannot conquer him and that um, death cannot um, overcome or, or that sin cannot overcome him because he defeated death through resurrection. So it's less about somebody needs to be punished for a wrong and more about there's just consequences that are the reality of, of doing that wrong. There's just things that happen if, right. you, if you sin, there are consequences, the biggest of which is death. Death is the biggest consequence, which is a very permanent <laughs> consequence, right. obviously. It's something that you can't do anything about. And Jesus comes, he takes that consequence of sin, he dies. But then through his resurrection, he proves that that sin isn't, that that death isn't as permanent, isn't, you know, that end-all, be-all that it feels like it is for human beings. Yeah, exactly. And so it's called Christus Victor because Mm -hmm. it's this idea that, like, Christ is victorious. Jesus is showing the power he has over this horrible entity, which is death. death itself. And so that 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 one's been really popular. A lot of people mm-hmm. have really enjoyed that here recently. Anyone that wants to read more on that, just check out uh, N.T. Wright. He's big on this. He has a book called The Day of the Revolution That Began that's basically that entire concept. So mm-hmm. if you want to check that out, go for it. Um, I'm trying to think of someone that does uh, the penal substitutionary view well. Uh, maybe Wayne Grudem or someone. Um, probably mm-hmm. someone like that. Uh, Again, that one's a little more common. So yeah, you yeah, you probably know a lot more of that. But I did want to make sure that you know, if you guys want to do some research on that stuff, there are definitely books and authors that write more from that perspective. So keep that in mind. But yeah. All right, and so um, just to wrap up here a little bit, one of the other ideas of atonement, which is very closely connected to this to the Old Testament, is having it connected with the idea of blood. Right, right. I think that's really important. That was one of the things that was really interesting to me when I started to learn more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this isn't necessarily a viewpoint. It's just kind of colors a lot of our understanding um, of atonement. Uh, We know that the blood of Christ uh, 
matters in the entire encounter on the cross. Um, and one of the main examples of how powerful blood is, is actually in the Passover, right? Uh, the lamb is slaughtered and they paint blood on the door frames of their houses. And on the 10th plague, uh, there is a what's called the destroyer, and he comes around and d- kills every firstborn Egyptian male. And the only reason he spares the firstborn males of the Israelites um, is because they paint this blood on the doorways of their houses, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so the, it's literally this idea of this liquid turning um, away um, the spirit at the doorway. And it actually turns out that the pictograph form of this Hebrew uh, word um, actually represents that. It's door and liquid. So uh, it has this very... So the, the word in Hebrew for blood mm-hmm. is like a little picture that... Relates to that to, story. To, to, to door and... And to uh, liquid, liquid, essentially. Um, yeah, so it's like painting blood over a door. It's exactly. It's closely connected, connected, even in the word itself. Exactly, which is mind-blowing uh, it's kind of a cool nerdy thing but um yeah so um then leviticus 17 also picks this theme up and uh, uh this is god speaking to moses about um rules and regulations concerning blood um and he speaks very pointedly about how um god views blood as containing the life essence of of the human within it, essentially, um, and within animals, um, the life essence. And so he makes strict commands like don't eat animals with the blood still in it, for instance, um, because their life essence is still in it. Um, and so there's this con- there's this connotation, essentially, of blood um, having to do with life, uh, blood having to do with something even deeper than um, just the thing that runs through our veins, essentially. Right. So um, blood is this liquid that in it contains life. Exactly. You know, it specifically has to do with life. So there were all these rules in the Old Testament that the, the Jews couldn't eat blood. They couldn't have, like, blood mm-hmm. pudding or... Uh, no. Or because that that that's sacrilegious in a way. You know, you don't, you don't just consume this life force in this... Uh, you know, not reverential way. Like exactly. blood was very important to them. It was something that, that really represented life in a, in a huge way for them. Which is actually, um, this is a little nerdy side note, but if you have been grown up in a culture where blood is off limits to drink, eat for Jesus to say at the last supper, take drink, this is my blood poured out for you is actually a really controversial statement for Jews. Um, and so, it it is in a sense the beginning of kind of turning a turning a turning a coin on those Old Testament laws that we see um, is him instituting um, because remember this is at Passover so uh, he is in a lot of ways Passover is enacting all of the blood ceremony right this would have been Passover is remembering that moment where they painted the blood on the doorways um, so you, so for him to pick up a cup and say take drink this is my blood poured out for you. Um, is sort of meshing those two ideas into one and saying, drink of my life, drink of my life essence. Um, And so that's why for so many of them, the the blood of Jesus becomes such a a big thing that you see in all these Bible passages. Right, right. All these Bible passages talk about the blood of Jesus. And we think, we connect in our culture blood with with violence and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
gore and like horror movies and you know bloody horrible violent things um but for their culture blood was closely connected with life and so the blood of jesus is the life of jesus that perfect life of jesus um covering over exactly atoning, uh for uh, the, the the sins of humanity. Exactly. So think of it as uh, on the cross, Jesus sheds a lot of blood, right? Uh, it's the most bloodiest execution. And uh, so think of it as that blood now covers over you. Um, and uh, when death comes to take its due, or the destroyer comes to take its due, it sees the blood of Christ and turns away from you, essentially. Um, and so that's what kind of that's kind of the under the hood of what Christians sometimes mean a lot of the times by like um, he paid the debt with blood essentially is this idea of blood turning away death at the door um, and it now covering over you. Isaiah actually takes up on this imagery and um, you're now washed white as snow is kind of the result of that is that you're now purified through blood as well. Um, so all of those themes kind of overlay with one another. And so you've got to, you've, you've really got to keep reading multiple passages to, and all the way through the Bible to kind of get a full idea because the Bible is always building on themes. So it doesn't just stay with the theme. Okay. Blood means this and then moves on. It'll take that theme and then it'll expound upon it and say, okay, now blood also means it purifies you now. Uh, and you know, then goes on to that because that image also happened. They would actually sprinkle blood on people to purify them in the Levitical law code. So there's just a lot of layers to everything that we talk about. So just read, uh, a lot more of those stories in Leviticus to kind of get a more fuller idea of it. But yeah. Right. So that's basically our goal with, uh, these deep dive sessions during the week. Um, we're hoping to just throw a lot of ideas out there you know just kind of pull from a whole bunch of different things and show you the ways that these themes run all the way through the bible because i I think that's our main uh one of the things we're the most excited about is just really seeing the fact that uh some of these ideas that get brought up in the very first few verses of the bible keep coming up over and over and over and over again and the more you understand those ideas, the more you understand how blood, how Sabbath, how atonement happen, the more you understand what Jesus is saying even sometimes right. when he says weird things that it's exactly. hard for us to understand. We need a little bit of that backstory sometimes to to really catch why he's saying things the way he's saying, why he's using the words he's using. And also, if you get anything from this, think about because it's so multi-layered, you may like read a passage in the Bible, for instance, and you may only get one layer. And so you may not actually understand it because you've only got one layer, essentially. And so you've got to read multiple passages from multiple books before something becomes really clear to you. And that's kind of what we're hoping to do in this podcast is really, you know, give you as many layers as we can in the short amount of time we have here um, to help you develop a fuller sense of this idea these ideas and hopefully ask questions you know um and don't be afraid to like say you don't understand something in the bible Uh, i think there's a huge Mm -hmm. at least in the churches i grew up in it was really uh they were very methodical in how they taught they were very like here's what we're going to do week by week but they didn't leave a lot of room for asking questions about interpreting the bible um 
and general eight questions were a lot more focused on, well, how do I do this in my life? How do I focus on this? Uh, and so actually interpreting the Bible, how you read the Bible is something Nick and I are super passionate about. Um, and that's just something that we really want to help you help you grow in. Yeah, absolutely. And so our goal with this um is that that is where we want to grow this to eventually, um, rather than just having, you know, kind of right. rambling conversations <laughs> about ideas. We would love if you all had specific questions that you wanted uh, some answers to, um, you know, throwing those out there. So, you know, if you if you know Noah or I have connections with either of us, you can reach out to us individually, uh, you know, beforehand with questions you might have. You can message us on any of these social pages for Wayfarers just with any questions you you might have had that you want us to answer. Mm-hmm. And each um, Sunday as we do our sermons, if there's something I said in one of the sermons that you're like, that doesn't really make sense, I don't really understand, or what about this idea, what about that idea? Um we, we would want you to be able to ask those questions, you know, let us know, and then this will be a time when we can sit down and answer those questions. So the more questions you guys give us, the more uh, content we have to be able to answer, and hopefully we can help make sense of some of the more confusing things in there a little bit. So uh, that that's what we had for this week. We just wanted to kind of throw some ideas out there, let you think a little bit about um some of the background of yeah. of some of those concepts, uh, know a little bit more of the Old Testament background, see how it connects with uh, all the way through with what Jesus is saying specifically, and um, I mean int- introduce you to know a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and let me. I'm always a big fan of like recaps, real quick. That are just like really short, sweet, and simple. Yeah. So let me just do yeah, like a, a recap, three and then we'll... three point recap, and then we'll be done. Yeah. Um, Rest is more about ceasing and looking forward to the hope and future of something. So think about it in terms of rest relates to um, the idea of heaven. We'll talk about that in future podcasts. But um, yeah, think of rest as relating to a future hope for something where you can pause and stop and uh, just take a breath. Um, Second idea, the kingdom of heaven uh, and the gospel relates also to the poor, um, the oppressed, the widows, um, all receiving rest. That's how those two relate. Um, So think of the gospel not just as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but also as the poor, those widows, all of them receiving um, rest at the end and receiving that heavenly blessing. And then third point is how does Jesus do that? Well, through the cross through his taking on sin and death and the consequences of pain and suffering, he uh, overcomes them by taking them all on himself. And so now humanity doesn't have to go through those because Jesus already went through them. So yeah, that's kind of your short, sweet, simple three-point message. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Thanks. Great (laughs) summary there, Noah. Thank you all for uh, tuning in. Those of you who have been watching, um, we will see you this Sunday, hopefully. Tune in to our second service here uh, with Wayfarers. It's going to be this Sunday at 7. We're going to be live on all of these same platforms. And then we will see you next Wednesday for another further deep dive, another recap of uh, some of the ideas of the sermon here with uh, me and Noah. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.